Well, good morning, guys. How are y'all doing this morning? I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Anybody glad to be in the house of the Lord today? Absolutely. Um, if you don't mind, can we give credit and honor to the pastors of this house? Can we put it together? Absolutely. Thank you for having me, uh, Pastor Gabe, and um, love your wife and your family. And then my friend, uh, I know he gets on y'all nerves. He gets on my nerves too, Jonathan. Uh, <laughs> but we love him, you know. Uh, thank you so much for the random lunch meetings where they check on me and how I'm doing. That's the thing I love about your pastors. They don't care about the talents and the gifts. They care about me as a person, and that's why we're friends. Um, this last past 13 months, I want to thank your church for praying. Um, has been really crazy for me and my family. Uh, you guys know about me losing my brother in 2020, but my mom passed away in January of this year. And then we had a couple other family deaths that happened. And so I joined with the rest of you guys and say, there's been a lot going on. There's been a lot going on in the world. There's been a lot going on in the country. And I'll also say in light of all of that, I still have an unwavering opinion about God. He is still good. He's still good. And the church is still alive. The church is thriving, moving, growing. And it's just so encouraging to see people worship because God is to be worshiped. Amen. And so this morning, um, it, it's a little different for me this morning because, you know, I'm a nerd and I love all of the Greek and Hebrew and all of that kind of stuff. But the Lord kind of has me in a very um, pastoral mood today. Um, because I really believe there's something that he really wants to say to us this morning. And so for your notes, I'm going to say a lot of things, but there's going to be some specific thing that you will want to take away. Um, but before I get into this, I was in worship and I felt the Holy Spirit put this in my heart. Um, and I'm going to just read it how I wrote it. Some of us in this room, we've been striving to love and to please God. But for those of us who are in Christ, He's already pleased with us because of Jesus. We've been trying to perform. We've been trying to impress him, to beg him to love us. But because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, you are already loved and you are already known. One of the hardest things to do in the body of Christ, I've been a Christian for a very long time. I've been a believer for a while. I've been in church. I almost was born in church. True, true story. And so I've seen the trends. I've seen the ebbs and flows. I've seen all of these different movements. I've been blessed to be in different races, in different countries. I've seen church all over the world. But can I say that the truth of the Bible, the truth of Christianity boils down to one point, whether you're Pentecostal, whether you're Reformed, whether you're whatever, is, is your heart in love with God? At the end of the day, this thing comes back down to our relationship, our intimacy with God, who is our creator, who is our maker. So for those of us who are striving in the room to please him, we're striving, we're doing a bunch of things. These things are great. Don't misinterpret me. They're great. But do know that God wants you. He's after you. He's after your heart. He wants to be the number one thing in your world. He wants to be 
the one that sits on the throne of your heart. I get a chance to lead worship across the nation, even in other countries at times. And I'm a, uh, my goal for this message is to not cry. So y'all pray for me. Because <laughs> uh, I'm just really, really uh, passionate about this morning. Because it really is all about the heart. A lot of times we focus on the external parts of our serving. I get to have a lot of uncomfortable, unnecessary theological debates with people about what you're seeing here, what you don't seeing here, what should your service structure look like. I'm like, I don't care about none of that. Do you love God? And do you understand more so that he loves you? Because when we get to heaven, it's not going to be a reform section, a Pentecostal section. It's not going to be a Baptist section. It's going to be all of God's creation bowing down and saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. We're not going to be fixated on preferences. I have a newsflash. They're not going to sing your favorite hymn in heaven. We're going to be in awe beholding the beauty of our savior who this is really about so in all of your striving in all of your working never lose your all in the wonder of god the one that made you the one that gave you your identity do you know you are who you are because of who he is that anything that's even decent in you is because of him. <laughs> and that at the end of the day, all of us in this room are needy beggars. We are in desperate need of the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness and the compassion and the love of God. And guess what? In American culture, we don't like to be needy. I was the only black man at the Bon Jovi concert in Birmingham. <laughs> and they had this song where they said, it's my life now or never. I ain't going to live ever. But it's this concept of this individualistic view of how we live our lives like it's about us. And we bring that into the church. And we begin to a la carte Christianity. We pick the church based on, oh, I like this part of the youth ministry. I like this and I like that and I like this and I like that. And ooh, worship gave me goosies. <laughs> worship is not about your goosies. It's about the God that you are worshiping. He is good. There's a lot of people that say worship was good. I was like, well, it wasn't for you. I appreciate it. So this morning, we're going to talk about the heart and the heart posture of a worshiper. We're in Psalm 63. And let me set the context here a little bit. This is guy named David. He was in a wilderness. And a lot of theologians believe it's one or two instances. He was either running from his son, Absalom, or he was running from King Saul. But either way, David found himself in a wilderness and a wilderness is just what that is. A wilderness is a place, it's a desolate place. It's a place where your basic necessities of life aren't there. They're not present. There's two times where you get to see your heart for God. 
It's when things are going fantastically. And then when you find yourself in a desolate place. Can I give you a news flash? You're just as needy for God in the desolate place as you are in the high place. We need them. And I want to preface this before we get started with the text. Y'all got me want to preach in here. I'm telling you, I don't know what's going on. Before we get into the text, this story is not about David. A lot of times we take this text and we idolize. Oh, David was so passionate about God. No, this story is about the God that is worth being passionate about. This text is about the God who is to be desired. And what my prayer is from us listening to this text is you ask yourself, is your heart in love with this God? Because he's radically in love with you. He radically desires a personal experience with you. See, here's the thing. A lot of us, and this is beautiful, we have faith and we believe in God abstractly. But when we start throwing the words intimate and passion and love and obsession, that doesn't describe a lot of the church. As it relates to our relationship with God. God is not just a set of ideals for you to argue on Facebook. Be delivered. He's not just an abstract thought. He's an active, living, present God. With us. And because of the Holy Spirit in us. There should never be a church service. We should never probably be able to get out of church because we're so grateful about God being in us. (laughs) So this text is David in the wilderness who needed some things. He was afraid running for his life. And we get to see the heart posture of a person who knew that it wasn't about him. But he knew that there was a God who radically loved him. So because of that, he was able to say this that we're going to read. He said, oh, God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Let me just do a brief pause right here. Lifting your hands and singing is not charismatic, it's biblical. I will. (laughs) Lifting your hands and singing is not charismatic, it's biblical. That is not a Pentecostal church thing. It's a biblical thing. Because he deserves for you to lift your hands and surrender because he is who you need. He's the one who's deserving of our singing. It was four sessions a day, not three. (laughs) 16 services. And I would have sang my lungs out because he deserves it. 
He is worth my worship. He is worth the sacrifice. He is worth the long nights. He is worth it. It's not even, let me keep going. Verse five, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down in the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. Ooh, but listen to this. But the king. Somebody say, but. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Let's go back to verse 1. I want to break it down. He starts with, O God, you are my God. Before we worry about anything else, before we worry about going to the nations, serving our neighbor, loving our spouses, loving our little cute kids, we have to answer the question, is God my God? Does he sit on the throne of my heart? Who is he to me? We have to settle that. David in the wilderness said, when he could have asked for anything, his first declaration was, even though I'm in the wilderness, I'm not confused about who you are. He says, oh, God, you are my God. That's a personal relationship. David was also a guy who was given a title that I love. Everybody trying to be a pastor and trying to be all of this kind of stuff. Can I tell y'all a better title? How about a person who's after God's own heart? I'll take that one. Y'all can have all the pastoring and all the questions and emails and concerns and opinions that come along with being a pastor. I'll take being a child after God's own heart. Because this stage means absolutely the. If anything, it gets you more scrutiny and more opinions. That's why our identity has to be in the fact that God is our God, because this thing right here can produce so many insecurities in us. And what people don't understand, I don't know why I'm going here, but what people don't understand as leaders is our first priority is that we are believers, too, who are trying to pursue this same God that you're trying to pursue as well. So David had to get himself straight. He said, even though in the wilderness, I'm still saying, God, you are my God. We don't serve a philosophy. We don't serve a set of ideals, but we serve a real active and living God. And one of the things that we must do in the modern church is to set ourselves on the character and the nature of God biblically. I had a mentor. We asked him a question. We said, what would you tell your 30 year old self? And y'all know I'm a note taker. He was like, he, he paused for a minute. I'm like, you got anything? <laughs> and then he opened his mouth and said, okay, here it is. He said, I would tell my 30-year-old self to learn the nature and character of God so that I won't charge him falsely. And immediately my brain went to the disciples in the boat. 
The first thing that came out of their mouth was, Lord, do you not care? Which is so important that we have to settle the character of God. He loves you. He cares for you. And he is immutably God. Despite of where you find yourselves. So David, he opens up and said, God, you are my God. Whether we like it or not, how we view God determines our worship of God. If you view him as a mean old man from a Harry Potter movie or something that's waiting to strike you down with a lightning bolt if you say the wrong word, I don't know if I would approach that kind of God. On the same stead, if you view him as a hippie who accepts everything and everything is awesome, no, it's not. Some stuff is sin. (laughs) You got the two extremes. He's either this mean deity that's unapproachable or everything goes. No, he's God. And he's holy, which means he's otherly. He's not like us. One of the things I had to do in my relationship with God, I had to take my dad's face off God. I'm stepping into some deep territory right here and I'm I'm comfortable. I have a therapist. You get one too. They're great. I had to smear my dad's face off God. Because my dad left when I was three. And so for me, well, y'all say God is my father and and he's invisible and he's following suit. And what I did was I didn't know, but I set up a blockade in my heart. Which disconnected me from the real beautiful benefit of God being my father for real, for real. That even when my mother and father forsake me, he will be there. I had a blockade. That's why we have to settle the character and the nature of God. He is not that family member that did that to you. He is not that church member that did that to you. He's not that family. He's not that. He is God. He's immutably good. He's not what happened to me. He is not what happened to my people group. He is not that. He is God. Man is man. God is God. And we have to keep that distinction. People hurt us because people are sinful. Even in the tragedy that I experienced, one of the, one of the things people do, I pray and I believe that my mom would come out of it. But it didn't happen the way I thought it would happen. That doesn't change the goodness of God. I don't say that as a band-aid. I say that as the truth. He's immutably good, which means that doesn't change despite the situation. And so you may be in this room facing some really dark stuff, but know that God is absolutely good. Know that his presence is with us and his spirit is in us. Notice that's just the first few words of the verse. The Bible is great. He says, earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land. What I want to show in this text is David understood 
that his physical needs was second place. He had a spiritual need. He had an internal need. There's a lot of us who try to medicate and we try to do things to fill this God-sized void in us. But the only one that's big enough to fill the God-sized void is God. Oh God, you are my God, my soul. It thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. David would have had physical needs, but he knew that there was something greater that he needed. Next verse says, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Can I say this? Even in your wilderness experience, you can still have an encounter with the Lord. Pastor Gabriel said that he was reading Revelation. Can I tell you, Revelation was an encounter on an island of Patmos. (laughs) You can still see God in the middle of your wilderness. David said, So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and the glory. And even the context of this, there would have been temples in this time before Jesus that housed the presence of God. So he would have been longing for moments in the temple. But David actually found a little clue pre-Jesus. Wait, I can experience his power and glory outside of the tabernacle. Uh Uh-oh. How much more us? Can I give you an overarching context? This kind of faith that David had in God was before Jesus. How much more of us in this room post the cross of Jesus Christ under the finished work can have this heart posture with even more confidence because we understand it's no goodness of our own, but it's the person in the power of Jesus. How much more can we say, God, you are my God? Because in this time, we see, G- we see God in a different kind of way. Where people did something, they automatically were killed on the spot. We see these different things, but David saw something that for us is prophetic. That we get to stand with confidence and say, he's my God. I can behold his power and his glory because of Jesus. Next verse says, because your steadfast love. Somebody say, steadfast love. That word is one of my favorite words in the Bible in the original language. It's this word hesed, which literally means the covenantal, no strings attached love. It is the woven theme of the entire Bible. I'm actually studying the book of Judges. And I got so annoyed. Because it kept saying, and the children did things that despised God. And then they did this that despised God. And then they did this that despised God. They would pray and cry out to God. He'll raise up another judge. That judge will die. Then they'll go back into their evil ways. And I got frustrated at them. But the Lord was like, you do that too. I'm like, I'm sorry, my bad. But what I saw in that text and what you will see in the Old Testament is the relentless mercy of God and the love of God. Because if Demetrius wrote the Bible, it would be three pages because it will stop at Genesis 3. Because once you disobey me, we're done. Oh, you want this fruit? Well, you have this fruit. And man didn't exist, period. Bible done. But aren't you glad that we are not God? And that even after we messed up, he said, where are you? Because I still want you. 
So I don't know if this mean, unapproachable God that other people worship, but that's not the one I ascribe to. I ascribe to a God who is holy, and for some strange reason, he loves me. If God loving us is not enough, no one else loving us will ever be enough. If God loving us is not enough, anyone else, anything else loving us would never be enough. Teenagers, can I say something to you? Social media is not your identity. If God knowing your name is not enough, the whole world knowing your name will never be enough. Ask me how I know, because I know. I've had people betray me, friends betray me. Funny thing is I was talking to my therapist and I didn't even know that this bothered me like it did. But I had a high school friend and we were like, we're going to live in the same state. We're going to do the same thing. We're going to the same school. And it wasn't even a week after we graduated. That joker moved somewhere else and I'm stuck in Alabama. That's silly, but friends say things, but who knows what happens from it. But the thing with God, he makes a promise and he keeps it. What we said earlier, God is not man. God is God. So the importance for us in this text is for us to realize the steadfast covenantal love of God. It is better than life. Notice it says it's better than life. He's saying that life is not even life if it's not under the love of God. Then he says, my lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift my hands. The next verse says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the night watches. For you have been my help and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. What that is showing us is showing us satisfaction is showing us communion with God and it is showing us dependence joyfully. It's showing us that David is completely satisfied in God for my singles in the room. We don't get the horizontal love consistently like our married brothers and sisters. I'm going to ask you a question. Does God satisfy you completely and fully? Let me ask my married friends a question. Are you holding your spouse to a messianic pressure because you're not fully satisfied in God? Because your spouse cannot be God for you. Only God can be God. And if we are not rooted and grounded in the steadfast love of God, our friendships, our work, our marriages will be crumbling because we will be putting a pressure on them that they cannot handle. Only God can handle being God. Only he can satisfy us in the deep, deep, deep places. That's a question you have to ask yourself with the Holy Spirit. Am I trying to gain something? from my spouse, from my friendships, that they aren't even capable to give me. If God loving us is not enough, no one else loving us will ever be enough. 
We see secret communion in verse six. He said, I remember you upon my bed. I meditate upon you in the watches of night. He's obsessed. He's obsessed with God. We don't even hear this language in the church anymore. And it scares me. No one is obsessed. I can't get enough of them. Lord, can this return to your church? Because if we truly was obsessed with God, can I tell y'all the overflow of that? You begin to learn to see yourself correctly. (laughs) You actually see God correctly, which allows you to love your neighbor compassionately. And when you're overflowing with the love of God, you're going to be so blushy that when you're at work, they're going to be like, why are you so happy? It's going to be the overwhelming love of God oozing out of you. And you can be like the woman at the well. I know a man who told me everything I've ever done. And he wants to love you this same way. Do y'all see how the great commission comes out of that? A lot of us are trying to run and do ministry empty. We have a good story, but not good news. That's my first time saying that. That was good. I got to pay that back. Because what happens is we'll tell a fable about a God that did this, but we don't have the experience. See, news is something that's announced that happened to you. There's good news. We see satisfaction. We see communion. And then we see dependence. He said, my, clo- my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. And then we look at verses 9 through 11. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult for the mouths of liars will be stopped. So what we're seeing in verses 9 through 11 is we're seeing a couple things. We're seeing that David is being sought after. We're seeing that David is in danger. But we see a beautiful principle in verse 11. He says, but the king shall rejoice in God. Can I ask us a question and I want us to reflect. How can David truly rejoice while being in the wilderness? He's not even sure of tomorrow. He's in danger. How can he rejoice? But I want to flip it. How can we rejoice? How can I stand and say I rejoice in God after losing three family members in 13 months? How can I rejoice where being an uncle means a little more now because my niece and nephew lost their mom and dad in the same 12 span month? How can I still say that I rejoice? Can I tell you how? Because of the steadfast love of God is better than life. Can I tell you how? How can I be so sure of this love? John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave Jesus, 
that whoever believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I love Colossians. It says, in Christ who is my life. Life is Christ. The apostle Paul was so obsessed with Jesus that he was like, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He was like, I'm ready to get out of here so that I can be with God. And that's my prayer for us in this room. If you don't mind, extend your hands out in the room. I want to pray over us. I want to offer this free gift of God's love to us in this room. And there's some of us in different spots. We're all in different places in our relationship with the Lord. Some of us don't know him at all. But I have a good news. He knows you and he's after you. And I'm not going to be foolish to think the spirit is not drawing your heart right now. There's some of us in this room who have been believers for a long time and we need a refreshing of his love. There's some of us in this room who are new to faith and we're trying to strive. We're trying to get his attention. Can I tell you his eyes are on you now? And so no matter where you find yourself in that invitation, I'm going to say come. Come to the well that never runs dry. Come to the everlasting spring. Receive that love. Allow it to give you identity and purpose. I feel your sweet presence, Holy Spirit. I want to pray. Father, I pray for each one of us in this room. That no matter where we find ourselves, Lord, we come to you boldly. And we receive your love. You said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That literally says, blessed are those that know they need God, for theirs is the reality of God at work in their lives. God, we are saying in this room that we are beggars and we are needy. Our hands are outstretched. Our hearts are open. And we ask you to fill us, Holy Spirit. Fill us until we overflow. Fill us until we run over. Fill us so we can love people properly. Fill us so we can serve from an overflow. Fill us so that we're not ashamed to worship you in public. Fill us so we're not ashamed to share the good news of what you did for us. Fill us, Holy Spirit, we ask you. And I'm reminded that you said that he that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. And that's not just a feeling till we're comfortable, but that's an over feeling. It's a gorging. We ask you to gorge us in your love, Lord. Overflow us in your love. Can you just begin to receive his love in this room for yourself? I pray for men in this room. A lot of us have pressures and things that we don't talk about. We have hurts and insecurities and pressures. But Father, I pray right now that you are filling us with your love. Lord, that we will let our fists down and we will stop fighting, but we will lift our hands up and we will surrender to you and receive your love in this room. Lord, I pray for our preteens in this room. That they would know the overwhelming 
never-ending love of God for them in a real way, that they would know that they are not too young to live on fire for you. Lord, we receive in this room. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're in us, you're with us. Thank you that you care for us. Lord, I pray a blessing over this church even now, Lord, that this area that you have placed them in, Lord, that they would serve boldly, that they would declare your gospel, Lord, that many people will come to know you through what you are doing in this house. I pray over Pastor Gabriel and his family and this team here. I pray that they always function from the overflow of your love for them. That their identity is wrapped up in the love that you have for them and not what is said, not the success of the ministry, but the love of God. Thank you for what you're doing in this house. And we love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus name we pray. Amen.